that you guys have enjoyed the four seasons of uh, weather that we've had in the past three days, and it's really great to be able to be here with you. You know, we have been in a series, we just started it, where we are going through the book of Psalms, and what we've done is really dug into this reality that our faith doesn't always sound neat and clean. It doesn't always look put together. Um, it doesn't always look like achievement. It doesn't always look like progress. Um, it doesn't even always look fun. Sometimes our faith is hard. It's a wrestle and it's messy. And the reality is that we are wrestling with who we are in Jesus Christ in a broken world, um, in a world where there's sin and suffering, in a world where we sin and are sinned against. And as we approach this season of Lent, we're confronted with the reality that we are a people in need of a savior, um, not just from our sin, but from the brokenness and suffering that the sin that surrounds us can often inflict on our souls. And so last week we looked at this really raw psalm that was a prayer of wrestling through what we do when we're afraid. And we looked at going to God out of a place of fear. Today we're gonna pivot a little bit. We're in Psalm 31 and we're, we're gonna look and see what happens when we go to God from a place of need. And I think in a lot of ways, it's reflexive for us to see God as a God who meets our needs, right? And so we can go to God instinctually with something that we need. I, I need food. I need a job. I need a relationship. I need a house. I need a career. I need to get an A in this class. I need to survive lunch in middle school. Whatever those needs that we have, there's something in us that understands on some level that we're supposed to go to God with what we need. I think what happens a lot of times though is we forget to go to God with some of the deepest needs that we have. And we're gonna see in Psalms, in, in this Psalm 31, this prayer that is gonna drive at this most basic instinctual need that humans are created with, and that's the need for safety. There's been a ton of work done on this by psychologists and sociologists and scientists that as, as human beings, that we are hardwired before anything else to seek safety. We, we need to be safe. From the time that we're infants through the time that we are elderly, the basic driving need that leads to our survival is this idea of safety. And you've seen that really weave its way throughout most of the defining behaviors of human history, right? We build forts, we build walls, we build weapons, we build farms, we build safes, we build fences. There's this understanding that ultimately above everything else, we live in a dangerous world and we need refuge from everything out there that's gonna hurt us. When you look at the hierarchy of needs, it really kind of operates on this fundamental aspect of creation. That as people, we are constantly, consciously and subconsciously calling out for safety because we understand that we need it. We live in an unsafe world. And so what we're gonna see is the psalmist cry out to God from a place of need from safety because safety is something that he clearly recognizes that he doesn't have. And so let's get into what it looks like for the psalmist to call out from this need. And then we're gonna see how we wrestle with the same need and what it looks like for us to understand who God is in the midst of this wrestle that we have. Verse one, it says to the choir master, a Psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You 
take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So the beautiful, beautiful aspect of the psalm is this paints a picture of who God is. In his wrestle, and in our wrestle, so often we want a solution. And when we go to God wanting solutions, sometimes the most powerful answer he gives us is not a concrete step, but rather a picture of his character. And here we see who God is. This picture of God is that God is a refuge. So when we think of this need for safety, so often we ask God for things that will make us feel safe. Instead of seeing God as the source himself of the safety that we need. The Psalm shows us who God is as he is a refuge. And this is where interpretation is our friend because otherwise it gets really weird, right? When it says, you are my rock and my fortress, is this literally saying that God is a fortress? Can you imagine like the Indiana Jones movie is Indiana Jones and the Holy Fortress? Like this fortress is God, that's insane. We would never say that. So, so what is this doing? Well, this is poetry. It's painting a picture to help you understand an inconceivable God with a conceivable picture saying God is like a fortress. He is a protector. He is a place of shelter. He is a place of deliverance. He is a place that hides us from all of the danger and hurt of a world that can sometimes be violent towards our souls. And so I think that this is cultivating in the reader a place that they would instinctually understand because this was a violent world they lived in. Do you remember when we were in the book of Micah, we got a picture of that violence a little bit. This was a pretty brutal place. And so fortresses were a necessary reality in a world just completely soaked in violence. And so a reader would see that God is a fortress and they would understand. They'd see the fortresses in their city. They would see the walls. They would see the everything that had been built up to protect these people. For us, fortresses aren't necessarily what we think of when we think of refuge. Maybe it is. But for others of us, I think refuge evokes maybe different imagery. Um, I know for me, growing up, there was this place of refuge that I had, probably where I felt the safest was my grandparents' house. You know, I had a single mom, um, only child, and so mom worked. She was a teacher. And we were really fortunate that we lived just about five minutes away from my grandparents outside of Austin when there was still country outside of Austin. And so my grandparents, um, I was their only grandchild, and we always had an incredibly strong relationship. And so grandma and grandpa's house always reflected safety. Everything about it reflected safety. There was this massive land that they had with a gun range in the back that grandpa taught me how to shoot. Um, There were blue bonnets, there were cedar trees. So even the smell just evoked this sense of safety. The the sky is bluer in Texas. I don't know if you knew that. Um, It's just because it's the best state, it's fine. Um, And so the, the sky was this kind of extra blue you know, there was grass, they had their dogs. Um, grandma cooked everything from scratch. And since I was the only one, it was usually whatever I wanted. And so everything about this space of my grandparents' house evoked this safety because ultimately what it was was a refuge from the stress of the world. I didn't have to worry about, you know, trying to survive kids at school that were mean. I didn't have to worry about achieving. I didn't have to worry about getting anything done. Uh, my wife would say I was spoiled. I would just say they were caring for me well. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, everything about my grandparents' place reflected this reality that I was in a place where I was loved, that I was cared for, that I mattered, and that I could relax and be at peace. And to this day, there's these aspects of that that I even take with me. Um, you know, I'll talk about this here in a minute when we get into the lack of, of temporary refuge because 
this stuff fades away, right? And so I still have stuff in my office that is from their house that I don't remember not seeing. It's just always been there. We moved around a lot. My grandparents never did. It was always there. And there's this space that I can go to in my mind when I still see certain smells, sights, things. It reminds me of what it meant to be sheltered and safe. And what the psalmist is doing with this imagery here is trying to connect us to this reality that God doesn't give us what we need for refuge, that he is that refuge. He is that safe place. They didn't ask God to build them a fortress. They said, God is our fortress. God in and of himself is our safety from a broken world. And so what we can do with this is make this connection between those places of refuge, those physical, tangible places of refuge that we can think of. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, it's someplace different, but whatever that place of refuge is for you, we're very intentionally supposed to make that connection between this is kind of what God is like. This sense of safety and protection and peace that you feel, this is a shadow of a greater refuge, of an eternal refuge, of a perfect refuge. Because the reality is we can cry out to God in prayer when we need refuge. That, that is the ultimate place that this psalm takes us. And that's the first point that we have today is that we can cry out to God in prayer when we're in need of refuge. And so as we pray, as we wrestle, do we consider that God is a place that we can go to when we need refuge? Can we do that? Do we see him as that? Or do we see him as more of a judge or an arbiter of if we're worthy of refuge or distant and ineffectual? He can't provide us the refuge we need. Or, or, or maybe, well, I don't know if God likes me enough to give me refuge. Do we instinctually see and understand God as a place of refuge? This psalm is a reminder that we, we can. We have access to him as that. His character is such that he will provide us what we need. And I wonder so often in our prayers, if we miss this point, and it's this first point that we have here, that um, it's the second time I've said first point. It's just a subtle for you guys out here. So as you're taking notes, you know that. Um, do we understand that God is a God who gives us what we need? That God is a God that we can go to, that he is trustworthy, that he provides. How many times have you been in a place of need and you have not instinctually felt like you can go to God and ask for him to be that need? We're people that can pray out of need. And I know that's hard because when we think about God as a refuge, it, it kind of brings us into this tension. And we ask these questions like, well, what about those times I didn't feel like God protected me? What about those times I suffered? What about those times that I didn't feel like he was there the way he was supposed to be? This, is, this wrestle that we have is actually reflected in the psalm because what happens is it starts over. So in those first eight verses, you see this arc where the psalmist is going to the Lord and saying, God, I need you to be my refuge. And then he ends with, thank you for saving me. Here's the crazy thing in verse nine, he starts over again. And we don't know why. There's a lot of different theories on this. Some people wonder if maybe a second psalm was kind of appended and added to this. And so these are two separate psalms. Some people would say, well, no, it's just that there was more trouble. And so this is a psalm that then now is addressing a second event. My favorite, my favorite interpretation is that it's not linear at all. And this is just a picture of the same roller coaster that we ride with the Lord, where we will go to him and say, I need you. And be like, oh, good, good, good. Okay, you're there. And then three seconds later, you're like, God, did you really hear me? Like, I need you. I need to tell you again, because I'm not sure you heard it the first time. I don't know if you understand. This is actually a big deal. I know that you're distant and far away, but I really need you. So I'm going to say this a second time. 
I love that interpretation because I think this is sort of how we feel sometimes when we go to him in need. It's like, I don't know if you heard me. I'm going to tell you again. So let's look and see how he goes to God out of need, but also wrestles with some doubts. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord, in verse 9, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. God, I need safety. I am wasted with grief. And we don't know exactly what the issue was that had him in this place. It could be a number of things. He says, my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. Those were his teenage years. If you have a teenager, right? Their years are spent. (sighs) Clearly, this is when he wrote this. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. He says, because of all of my adversaries, I have become a reproach, I've become shame, especially to my neighbors. I am an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. He's saying, God, are you sure you're a refuge? Because look at what look at look at what's happened to me. And I think this is the wrestle we have a little bit. Like, okay, he says he's my refuge, but what about all those times that he wasn't? And I think that this is such a beautiful picture of that tension because look, at no point is he accusing God of hurting him, right? At no point is he saying, God, you're out to get me. God, you're after me. God, you're plotting to shame me. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, all of these people around me are out to get me. All of the people in my life are shaming and rejecting me. They won't talk to me. They're hurting me. What he needs protection from is other people. And the ironic thing about that, the challenge for that, that I think meets us in this wrestle, is that God's design for us is that his goodness would be reflected through community. We are supposed to find some measure of refuge and peace from healthy relationships, right? There are aspects of what God has put in creation that exists to help us understand what it means to be safe and loved. And what's happening with the psalmist in this situation is that those very aspects of creation that were designed to give him peace have turned against him. The places that he was looking for refuge that weren't the Lord weren't working for him anymore. They'd actually turned from being a refuge to being a weapon. And so he has this wrestle because he's like, God, I don't know if I can trust you because look at how these people are treating me. Look at what I'm going through. Look look, look at what's happening. How, How are you okay with this? And that's what we do. So when our, when our expectations of refuge break down, we're like, God, look, where are you? Where are you? Are you trustworthy? Are you really a refuge for me? Or is that a promise for other people that act better than I do or have more money than I do or have their lives more together? Am I good enough to be included in this refuge? Do I count? Do you see me? And this is, this is a side note for us as God's people. This is, this is a bit of a... Um, This is a bit of an addendum that we can learn from this, not as the one who's in suffering, but ones who are around those who are. If God is a place of refuge and his church is designed to be a reflection of his character, then God's people have to be a place of refuge. For us to fully be who we are supposed to be as a church, we have to be a people of refuge for those that are hurting. We have to be a safe place for those that are wrestling 
that are, that are suffering, that are in need. As a church, we don't want to be a church that reflects the reality of the psalmist's friends who are gossiping or being bitter or mean or exclusionary or uncaring. Not that we would ever do those things intentionally, but we have to be aware that if we are supposed to reflect the truth of God, then we have to be a people of refuge. God is a God of refuge. We are a people of refuge. And one of the beautiful things that we've experienced in our very short time at Roswell Community Church is we are a community that has a heart to be a people of refuge. And I'm so grateful that as we read this, we take God's call seriously to love the people around us. And so as we continue to wrestle with this, we can't forget there's people around us having this wrestle. So back to the person who's suffering, right? That's enough of um, other people. Let's talk about us again, right? Only child, I get it. Like, let's go back to our problems. So what do we do when it feels like the world is not the refuge that it is supposed to be? I think we do two things, right? Um, because it makes us question God. I think the first thing it does is it reveals the lack of ability for anything outside of God to be a permanent refuge. So here's the problem with my grandparents' house. There's developers and they like money. And what they do is they come in and they carve up the nice parts of Texas for all the liberals in California that want to come out and ruin our state. That's a little more political than I usually get. It's actually fine. I don't care liberal or Republican. I just like Texas to not be crowded, okay? So um, they come out and they carve up these beautiful pieces of Texas. They sell them off. And now where there used to be acres of untouched land, you can see houses off of my grandparents' back porch. The houses aren't supposed to be there. I remember actually the first time I saw it, it made me emotional because I realized that this place that used to be peaceful had been ruined by greedy tech employees that didn't want to pay higher state taxes on the West Coast. It was gone. This refuge that's built on the things of the world didn't last. On a serious note, my grandparents passed away. They're not there anymore because ultimately what made that a place of refuge wasn't the land, although it was nice, it was the people. And we live in a broken world where, where we do not live in this place eternally. We have a place that we will live eternally. It's just not here. This is a fleeting, broken place. The places that we look for refuge outside of the Lord just aren't built to last. And I'm not saying that your relationships are meaningless. We should cultivate healthy relationships, right? But they're never going to be the refuge that God is. And so the reason that here, the second point we have is that even in the midst of pain and betrayal, we can call out to God for refuge because he's the only one we have. What pain and betrayal ultimately reveal is that God is the only sustainable place of refuge that we have as people. And that's not to say creation is bad or people are, are horrible and we should avoid. It's not what this is saying. It's just a reminder that there will be a point where you're betrayed and hurt by people that you thought you could count on. There will be a time that in a broken world, people sin against you. There will be a time that there's sickness and suffering. There will be a time where it feels like the world is out to get you. But in the midst of that pain and betrayal, we can still trust God. When we go to God and say, God, I don't trust anybody right now. You're my only hope. We have a God that will show up. And that's a point of tension that a lot of us live in. God, nothing is working. Can I still call out to you? And the beauty of this psalm is the answer is yes. This guy is not in a good place. He's wasting away from grief. He's questioning why God is allowing all this to happen. He's saying, I need you. Don't you see me? In the midst of our pain and betrayal, we can 
call out to God in prayer. It's possible. So how do we know that? I, I love how this closes because I think it really is the exclamation point on this wrestle that we have. It says in verse 11, because all of my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. So the depths of this wrestle and this betrayal, there's people plotting to kill him. He's like, what do I do, God? I need you. I'm crying out to you. This is this, is this beautiful picture in verse 14. He says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. He's not in a good place. Things are not going well for him as he's saying this. He literally has nothing left. People are trying to kill him and he's hopeless. He's like, but I'm still trusting in you, God, because you're a refuge. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. I trust you. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them silently go to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in, the, in your shelter from the strife of tongues, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. That's that wrestle. You don't see me, I need you. But you heard my voice. You heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. He says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the final place I want us to go. This is the most important part of this message. And he ends the psalm with this really important spiritual reality that when we go to God, we experience the depths of God's goodness. In the midst of our wrestles and our waiting and our suffering, when we go to God, we experience the depths of his goodness and his mercy. So what does that mean? How do we go to God? You know, there's a lot of different ways we go to God and experience in his shelter. We go to God in prayer and in silence. We, we go to God in reading his word. We go to God in obeying his commands. But the reality is when we go into the presence of God, what we experience are the depths of his goodness and mercy. We don't always know how, we don't always know when, but we know who. And so when we go to God for shelter, we find the goodness of his shelter, all of the ways that he shelters us in his indwelling of his spirit. When we have become Christians, God shelters us from the corrosive aspects of the world that eat away at our soul, um, envy and lust and pride and greed, hate. He shelters us from those and transforms us through his love to be a people who have tasted and seek his goodness and forgiveness and gentleness and humility 
and the love of our neighbors and an overflow of good works out of the faith that we have in him. He shelters us from a broken world. He shelters us practically. And this is always a hard one because you go to, what about the times that he didn't? And we don't understand and we're left to wrestle with that. But he practically shelters his people. He does protect us. He does provide what we need. He does hide us from our enemies. We don't always understand how it all works, but we have a God who takes care of his people. And it is safe for us to trust that. We can't be so afraid of the error and heresy of the prosperity gospel that we ignore that God also does promise to take care of his people. We just can't tell him how that works and make it conditional, but we can trust that he does. God shelters us practically. God shelters us with people. And above anything and everything else, the foundation of our faith is that God shelters us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we have tasted and seen the goodness of God and have been granted the gift of eternal life, of an understanding of his love for us and an intimate relationship with him because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we put our faith in that reality and follow Jesus, we are transformed and we're sheltered from death and sin. We're sheltered from isolation. We are brought into a new life as God's children and a new family that's his church. And so as we respond in worship today, we respond to God through reminding ourselves with the tangible pictures of his blood and his body that we are sheltered in Jesus Christ. So as we cry out to God and wrestle with him, the greatest need that we have for safety has been provided for us in the eternal shelter of the body and blood of Jesus. And as his people, we can freely and joyfully come and taste and touch this reality that we are sheltered as God's children. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the reality of who we are in you. We thank you that you have made us your children that you have made us innocent and holy and you have made us good. God, we pray that out of an overflow of your love, we would be energized and how we trust you to be our shelter and our safety. God, continue to grant us protection from a broken world and you above everything else. Let us be rooted in the reminders of what refuge is and be brought back to you as the ultimate source of what we need. It's in Jesus' name.